for a little bit this morning. Um, and this message is, to a degree, kind of inspired not by something that has been completed in the lives of these young ladies that are graduating this year, but certainly something that um, is inspired by the heart that they have. And it's something that, I, that all of us can, uh, could stand to develop. And so uh, the, the message that I'm going to be preaching is actually one that, uh, that we're working through in, uh, in our youth group. Uh, it's called The Heart of a Champion, and we're kind of taking a look at what does a heart that looks like Jesus look like. And we've kind of identified that this is kind of the heart of a champion. And specifically this morning, I'm going to talk about uh, the, the characteristic of having a heart for others, uh, a heart that loves and cares for other people. One of the things that I mentioned about these young ladies that, that stood before you this morning is all of them were multiple sport athletes. Um, they, they, they know full well what practice, what, what training their body looks like. And as it relates to this idea of being, uh, to having the heart of a champion, it requires these, these same sorts of, uh, of efforts. It takes time to develop. It, it, it takes hard work to develop. How many people uh, at some point in their life was a part of some sort of athletic uh, team or singular event of some sort? Maybe it was in school, after school. How about where's our musical people? Anyone who has some sort of musical ability? Where are our competition food eaters? Any of you in here? Lots of hands over there. If you are any one of these things, then you, you would know that it takes time to develop the gifts that you have. If you're a parent, you know that it takes time to develop to be good at any one of these particular things. Sometimes it takes a lot of pain. Sometimes it takes a lot of tears. Sometimes it takes blood going outside of your body. Um, sometimes it, it takes sleepless nights. Uh, uh, but the idea being that, that even though there is, there is uh, effort involved and sometimes uncomfortable effort, any of you who have stuck with it for any length of time recognize that the pain uh, is worth the end result. There's lots of T-shirts uh, that, that, that talk about this idea. Uh, you can go into any store that sells Nike or Reebok or Adidas and you can read just about any of the shirts and, and it expresses this idea that if you want to develop something, if you want to strengthen something in your life, if you want to get better at something in your life, there is effort that is involved. There's training that needs to take place. And the, the, the ultimate goal is that if you stick with it, then you will receive the results that you need. Our hearts are exactly the same way. Our hearts are exactly the same way. It, it, if we want to develop off the heart of a champion, if we want our hearts to look like Jesus Christ, it takes hard work. It takes a lot of time. It takes some sleepless nights. It takes, it takes some tears. It takes blood being removed from our bodies, hopefully not too much uh, for those of you. Um, but it, it, it requires effort on our parts to have our hearts developed. One of the things that we've been talking about in, uh, in the youth room is what does a great heart look like? How do we identify what a great heart is? And so we had them kind of discuss in some small groups, and they came up with lots of fantastic ideas. But then we kind of boiled it all down to kind of one, uh, one kind of definition for what does a great heart look like. And one of the things that they came up with was this idea that a great heart is someone who loves and cares for others more than themselves. 
So when we talked about some of the characteristics of a great heart, we talked about the idea that, 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 that people have a gentle heart, people have a loving heart, a compassionate heart, an empathetic heart. Um, all these things that we talked about as it related to this idea of heart all had to do with our relationship with other people, which totally makes sense. And it had to do even more so with this idea that we care about others more than ourselves. Those were the people that we were able to identify that had a great heart. Uh, to take this and look at it from another angle, let's let's flip it on its uh, on the other end and, and kind of talk about what what um, what a, a undeveloped heart looks like. If you could kind of rewind your life as as much as you can, some will have to rewind a little bit longer than others. But kind of consider yourself as as maybe my daughter's age, you're around five years old, six years old, seven years old. Some of you uh, maybe a little bit older, depending on how you have developed in your adolescence. But you're at the store, you see the shiny thing, you see the thing that makes lots of noise and you, your parents are there with you and then of course uh, as soon as you see this thing that you desire what is it that you what do you say to your parents I want it I want that I want this I gotta have it I need that I want it I want it so badly uh, to which of course your your parents try to convince you in some uh, really intelligent way why it's probably not a good idea for you to have it and reason means nothing to a five-year-old it's, it's kind of fun, and I found myself doing it, and I chuckle after the fact that I'm like kind of looking at my little five-year-old, and I'm trying to explain to her, well, you don't have any money right now. If you were to check your piggy bank, you'd see how much was in there. One cent, $1,000, who knows what the difference is uh, when you're that age. All you know is you want it. You've got to have this thing. And so then, unfortunately, uh, uh, um, as parents, we, we begin to correct our children and let them know that they can't be selfish. They can't, they can't have everything. There's a book that we read. How many people are familiar with the Berenstain Bears? Um, there's a book that we like to read. I don't think we gravitated towards it because of our daughter, but we certainly have revisited many times. It's called The Gimme. Um, and and the, bear, the brother and sister bear have the, a bad case of the gimmies. And whenever they're somewhere, they want something really, really badly. And so we, we, uh, we will remind Eliana that hopefully she doesn't have a bad case of the gimmies whenever we walk through a store. But Mel will be the first to admit I'm the, I'm the, I'm the culprit <laughs> when it comes to seeing stuff. I, she doesn't even have to be there. I just see it. And I'm like, oh, she would want that. <laughs> and so it's not good. But the opposite of, a, of, of the heart of a champion, the opposite of a, of a great heart would be this idea of an undeveloped heart. And selfishness is kind of the epitome of an undeveloped heart. Here's the bad news. Uh, thankfully, all of your kids are downstairs, is that most of you as parents know it's not just our children that are selfish, are they? We find ourselves being equally selfish, sometimes worse. We just hide it a lot better. And so our desire is that we would not have this undeveloped heart, but that we would have the heart of a champion, that we would have a heart that loves and cares for others more than ourselves. This is the opposite, essentially, of a selfish heart. As we train our hearts to look like the heart of a champion, uh, we start to ask ourselves this question, what does the heart of a champion look like? And the, the best place that we can find what the heart of a champion looks like is to look at the life of Jesus Christ. When we take a look at Jesus' life, we see this perfect heart. And so this morning I'm going to spend a little bit of time taking a look at, uh, at Christ's heart and seeing how he met uh, some of the needs of people, how he loved for people, how he cared for people. And so we're going to just take a quick look at some snapshots this morning uh, of, of how Christ loved and cared for people. 
Essentially, people have three basic needs in their lives. And the first need that every person has is physical needs. These physical needs are the things that, uh, that have to do with uh, the need for water, the need for food, the need for shelter, um, the need for clothing, things like that. We all have physical needs, and if our lives are void of these physical needs, uh, then death shortly there follows. And so there's some specific physical needs that everyone has. And when we take a look at the life of Jesus, we see that he met people's physical needs. If you've got your Bible with you, flip to John chapter 9. There's also Bibles in the pews if you don't have yours with you. If you like to use an electronic device, I am totally comfortable with that. My hope is that you'll learn two things this morning. One is, what does it look like to have the heart of a champion, a heart for others? And two, that you'll learn that you can learn something from someone with a mohawk that uses lots of electronic devices to communicate. So take a look at John chapter 9, and, uh, and, and we're going to take a look at a story just to give you a little bit of background information before we get here. Um, Jesus is, is traveling uh, through lots of places, and people uh, begin to realize that he can heal them. He has this uh, God-given ability to heal people, and so he... Um, he ends up at, this, uh, at a place called the Pool of Siloam. And at the Pool of Siloam, there is a blind man uh, who, who is in need of healing. Obviously, he's blind and he wants to have his sight back. And so he calls out for Jesus to come over to where he is. And Jesus walks over to where he is. And we're going to take a look um, at uh, John chapter 9. And we'll, be kind of, we'll start at verse 6. He's called over. And then Jesus spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. Now, if you can imagine for a second, here you are, you're a blind man. Maybe if you, if you have a weak imagination, you can close your eyes, pretend you're blind here for a second. You hear a lot of commotion. You recognize that it is Jesus that's coming near you. You call out for Jesus, and this, this fantastic moment of excitement comes over you as Jesus uh, is coming near you, and you can tell he's coming near you because the sounds are getting louder uh, of the crowd that constantly is following him around. And so he, he asked Jesus to heal him. And as the blind man, in response to your request to be here, to heal, this is what you hear. Now, it may not have been fully like that, but there was at least the part. And as the blind man, the first thing that would go through my mind is, where did that just go? Where did, where did that go? And all of a sudden you kind of hear this little in the mud in front of you. Now he must have had a lot of spit because I tried to spit in some dry dirt and it does not make mud very easily. Maybe he had just drank a lot. or Anyways, maybe it's part of his gifts. Lots of saliva. Maybe he's like my daughter uh, Kaya who is constantly... That, that's, don't have that image. So he spits in the ground, makes a little mud pie, nice and pat, and then all of a sudden you feel it on your face. Like, hmm, now I know where that went. <laughs> and so then Jesus, as we continue to, to move on here, and then, uh, so then Jesus in verse 7, he tells the man, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. And so now, which is a very nice thing to do after you've just spit in the dirt and rubbed it in someone's eyes, it's always good to tell them, now go wash that off. <laughs> now, I wonder for a second if you were the disciples and you were watching this take place as well, and, you're, and, you, and this guy's come over like, oh man, it's going to be awesome to see Jesus heal somebody again. This is going to be fantastic. And then Jesus spits in the ground, puts some mud together, and wipes it on this man's eyes. And you're like, oh my goodness, you're not supposed to do that to blind people or any people. 
But especially not the blind. I wonder if that's where the statement, oh, Jesus, came from. Like, oh, oh, Jesus. Can't, can't do that. Maybe. Probably not. That's how my brain works. Thanks for taking the journey. So he tells the man, go and wash the mud from your eyes. So he goes to the pool of Siloam. Siloam washes the mud from his eyes, and, and he is able to see. His sight is given back. And then the story goes on to say that, that uh, he, he washed his face. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. And so this is, a, this is kind of a snapshot of, God meeting, of Jesus meeting uh, someone's physical needs. There, there are countless uh, um, numbers of miracles that take place that you can read about in the Bible. As you read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those are kind of the, the reaccounts of, of the life of Jesus. And we see time and time again where Jesus will meet the physical needs of these individuals and he will heal their physical bodies. So we all have physical needs. The second need that all of us have are emotional needs. We all have emotional needs. Um, I've got a video that will kind of give us a little bit of a taste of the emotional, of what I mean when I say emotional needs. Look, Mom, I drew a picture of me landing on the moon. And look, Mom, I made the prototype of the rocket out of macaroni. And Look, Mom, I made a real rocket based on the macaroni prototype. Mm. Uh. Mom, someday I'm going to go to the moon. Oh, I'm afraid you're too late, son. NASA isn't sending the monkeys anymore. this young man, if you've ever seen the movie Despicable Me, you know that if you treat your children like this, they will grow up to be evil scientists. But this is kind of a, a, a just a, a taste, hopefully maybe not too close to home, a taste for you, uh, of the fact that we have these em- emotional needs. And, and there's lots of different types of emotional needs that we have, but they all kind of boil down to this need to be understood, this need to be liked, this need to be loved, this need that we all have to be respected. We have these emotional needs. We want to know that other people know us, that they understand us, that, that, that our life makes sense in the context of who we are and the relationships we have with other people. Um, I, uh, I've been the youth pastor here at Grace now since 2008. And uh, whenever, I, whenever I interact with, with students that, um, for whatever reason, have decided that, that uh, the, the youth room on a Wednesday night is not a place that they're, uh, that they're interested in visiting or, or they have a tough time with some of the events and things that we go to, I'll, I'll have these uh, conversations with them and I'll kind of ask them, hey, we haven't seen you. We've got this group that we'd love for you to meet. Sometimes we'll even sit uh, in the services on Wednesday nights here with the adults and we'll invite them. And, and so I'll ask them, hey, do you want to join us? And, and, and w- without a doubt, every, every opportunity that, we, that I've had to invite someone like that, the answer has never been, no, I, I don't think I would like something like that. That's not for me. Every time the conversation has happened, it's, it's always resonated with this idea of, I really don't know anyone there. I'm not sure that I would be comfortable there because I don't know anyone. I don't, they don't know me. Um, uh, just this idea that... Um, uh, there, there's this fear that, that they won't be understood. There's this fear that, um, that, they, that, that nobody there will accept them. There's this fear that they won't fit in, that people uh, won't pay attention to them or pay too much attention to them. 
And these are all emotional needs that we have. And certainly if, if you've lived on this earth for any length of time, you recognize that those uh, emotional needs don't end when we graduate from high school. Uh, that, that even well into our adult lives, there's this need that we have to be understood, uh, to be liked and loved by other people, to be cared for. This desire that we have that, uh, that others would accept us, that others would, um, would have this connection with us. Um, for a lot of people that you may hear that, that say they don't have those sorts of needs, a lot of times they'll kind of uh, put on some facades. And usually those who deny those needs the most are really the ones who actually have the greatest, deepest need for those sorts of things, uh, for that relationship, for those connections. But they're like, ah, I'm, I'm cool. I, you know, I don't, I don't need that sort of stuff. That, that stuff isn't for me. Uh, but, but when we get really down to it, we recognize that they just kind of put on a facade. Um, that, it's, that it is a need that all of us have. Um, let's take a look at how uh, Christ met some emotional needs. If you'd flip uh, to Luke chapter 19. Uh, this is kind of a, a story that many of you, if, you've been, if you grew up in church or been around church or children's church for any length of time, uh, in Luke chapter 19 we meet a, uh, a man by the name of Zacchaeus. And uh, there's a little song that goes along with it. And so um, I'll have Jose come back up and play the accord now. I wouldn't know the tune to it. But I do know the words. And Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was... You guys know it too. It's you. He climbed up in a... For the Lord he wanted to see. So we're going to meet Zacchaeus here. And some of you are like, please sing the last part of it. I've got to get it. I'm not going to. not going to happen. Zacchaeus was a, a wee little man, and he was a tax collector. And so for those of you who don't know what wee means, um, he was not very large in stature. He was a short, uh, a short man, and he was a tax collector. And basically, just to give you some background information on tax collectors, um, perhaps not too unlike taxes today, those who collect them are not always the most favorable. Um, and back then, certainly, they, these were the crooks of the day, but unfortunately, they were kind of uh, allowed to be crooks. They uh, basically whatever ruling, uh, whatever ruling uh, country uh, oversaw a particular, whatever empire was in charge, they would say to these tax collectors, "This is how much you have to collect from everybody, but then take whatever you want on top of that, and that you can just keep." And so they were they were legitimized thieves. They would take what they needed for taxes, and then they would take whatever they wanted for themselves. And Zacchaeus was a notorious one. And isn't it interesting that when we, when we don't like somebody, we begin to key in on some, some of their physical attributes that are not too desirable either. And so I find it interesting that uh, I imagine Zacchaeus, um, as he's collecting money from people, and he's this little tiny guy, and he's trying to shake people down for money, I imagine that uh, he heard many insults regarding uh, his height as well. And so this is an individual who has some significant emotional needs, and we're going to kind of see how he meets them. In Luke chapter 19, verse 5, when Jesus, uh, Jesus is coming by, Zacchaeus wants to see them, and so he's too short to see over the crowd that is gathered around, and so he decides what every reasonable short person decides. I'm going to climb up in a tree so I can see him. And so Zacchaeus climbs up into a tree, and so that he could get a glimpse of Jesus as he walks by. And in Luke chapter 19, verse 5, when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and he called him by name, Zacchaeus. I've, I've sung the song many times growing up. I've read the story many times uh, uh, as I've read uh, my way through the Bible and this story in particular. And it wasn't until recently 
uh, that, that something significant stuck out to me about this verse in chapter 15. And it's this idea that Jesus Christ calls Zacchaeus by name. And when he calls him by name, he meets this deep emotional need that Zacchaeus has. He meets the name, he meets his need when he calls his name. He looks at Zacchaeus and he says, You matter. I know you. You're all right. I know you by name. And there's this need that Zacchaeus has to be recognized, to be, uh, to be understood, to be cared for. He says, Zacchaeus, come down, uh, for I, will, I must be your guest in your home today. He's saying to you, you matter and I want to spend time with you. Here's just a quick aside. There are, there are over 6 billion people that live on the earth right now as we live, over 6 billion And the amazing thing about God, the amazing thing about who He is, is that He knows each and every one of your names. He knows you all by name. And He calls out to us and He says, You matter. You're significant. I want to be in relationship with you. Each and every one of us. We matter. And we're significant. It's an emotional need that all of us have. He wants to be connected with you. He wants to have a relationship with you. The Bible says Zacchaeus quickly climbed down. He took Jesus to his house with great excitement and great joy. Jesus, who has the heart of a champion, not only meets the physical needs and the emotional needs um, of someone like Zacchaeus, but there's also other needs that he meets as well. And the final uh, need that he meets is we all have spiritual needs. We all have deep, deep spiritual needs. A lot of us don't know what exactly these spiritual needs are. We don't know what this means. Um, Also, when I was a child growing up, I always got this illustration or this picture that we have this God-shaped hole in our hearts. And so, of course, being the visually-minded person that I am, I always imagine the little wooden box that's got the cut-out shapes in it, right? And the circle goes here, and the square goes here, and if you push them hard enough, you can jam the triangle through the square block hole and things like that. But they all have this specific hole, and I always imagined my heart was like that box, and there's like this little flannel graph cutout of Jesus in it. And only Jesus fits perfectly uh, in this hole. And this idea that there's this vacuum or there's this God-shaped hole in our hearts is this idea that we, we were created in God's image, we were created in His likeness, and we have God, the, the triune God, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in perfect relationship with each other. And so since we are created in His image, our, we were created to be in perfect relationship with God. We are created to be in perfect relationship with Jesus. And when there's this broken relationship, there's this void in our lives that can only be filled by Jesus. Sometimes we try to fill this void with lots of other things. And we play this if game with ourselves. If I were only popular, if I had money, if I had a car, if I had a boyfriend or a girlfriend or if I was married, if I could just if I just work really hard, if my kids were good, if they grew up well, if I could achieve this, if I could do that. And so we begin to try to replace this void in our hearts with this idea of I need to be fulfilled in some way. And so we try to find other ways. But there's this perfectly shaped hole in our hearts that can only be filled by relationship with Christ. 
We all have this deep, deep need. And when it's lacking, we, we, we recognize all too well the emptiness that we feel inside when there's something broken, when that, when that void is there. And so we'll try to, to find quick fixes and we'll try to cover up the hole with a lot of different things. But there's only one thing that can fully take the place of that vacuum in our hearts. We need, what we need is a connection with God. That is our deep spiritual need. Our spiritual need is to be forgiven and the need to be reconciled. And the reconciled is a big Christian uh, type word uh, that, that has to do with this idea of being connected. We need to be forgiven and we need to be connected with God. That's what the need is that we have in our heart. That's the place that only this void can be filled by, is this reconnection with God. A lot of people think that uh, they don't have this need and they'll try to fight it off. Let's take another snapshot of an individual that's like this in John chapter 4. The Gospel of John chapter 4. There's a woman at a well, just to give you a little bit of background information while you're flipping there. There's a woman at a well, and and the the context of the story gives us a little bit of information about this woman before we even find out about her later, which we do. And it's midday, so it's around noon, and Jesus comes to the well, and this woman is at the well, and she's, she's gathering water at the well. And, 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 and if we understand a little bit of the context of the, of the period of time, we would, you, we would know that, um, that women don't go to the well at midday because it's the hottest part of the day. And so the women would get up early in the morning, and they would go in the morning before it got really hot, and they would draw up whatever water it is that they needed for their daily activities. And so the very fact that this woman is here at the well at midday during kind of the hottest part of the day lets you know right away that she's kind of an outcast. Either by choice, she's decided not to go at the beginning of the day because she doesn't want to have to have that awkward interaction with the other women at the watering hole, or by request of the other women. Why don't you come back a little bit later? It's kind of, it's kind of busy here now. You can come back at midday and get the water that you need. And so the fact that she is at the watering hole uh, at midday is a significant thing. There's another, another significant thing as it relates to the interaction and the relationship that Jesus has with this woman is that she's a Samaritan woman. And for Jesus, who was a, was a Jewish man, a Samaritan woman and a Jewish man, well, first of all, a man and a woman that weren't related to each other or married to each other wouldn't be having many conversations by the watering hole. That would look very, very bad in that culture. And the fact that she's a Samaritan and he's a Jew makes it even worse because Samaritans were kind of half Jew, half Gentile. And so the, the, the Jewish people of the day didn't want anything to do with the Samaritans because they were kind of, uh, they, they kind of saw them as polluted a little bit. And so here Jesus is having a conversation with a woman, a Samaritan woman, a Samaritan woman who has to get her water at midday. And all these things add up to the fact that she is clearly an outcast in her community. And this is what he says. He's talking with her and he kind of directs the conversation to this idea that there's this living water. In verse 10, if you only knew the gift God has for you and you would ask me, I would give you living water. And then in verses 13 and 14, it says uh, that you, could, you would drink this living water and never be thirsty again. And she asks Christ, how, give me this water. How can I get this water? And Jesus says to her, go get your husband and bring him back here. And, and all of a sudden, she starts to realize, oh, this, this, isn't a, this isn't a good situation. And she says to him, well, I'm, I'm not married. And he identifies, I know that you're not married. You've actually been married five times, and the man that you're with now isn't your husband either. Jesus gets right to the heart of 
of what's going on in this woman's life. And she does something classic that all of us do when it gets too hot in the situation. She changes the subject. She's like, oh, too much for me. And so she starts like, well, now, Jesus, you guys say you're supposed to worship over here. And, and, and my people say we're supposed to worship over here. And so she's like, well, this is too much for me. I, 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 can't, I can't get into this right now. And she tries to change the subject. But Jesus doesn't let her get away with that. He cares too much about her. And he presses into her life. And he shares with her this need. He fills this deep spiritual need that she has, this God-shaped hole that can only be filled by Christ. Everyone has this deep spiritual need. Every person has a need for Jesus. When we try to wrap our brains around this idea of how we are loved by God, for many of us it's why we kind of put up some defenses and have a difficult time with accepting it. We don't believe or understand how God could love us the way that He did, the way that He does. And it all boils down to God's grace. We don't fully understand God's grace. Here's the good news, bad news. The bad news is as we develop a heart of a champion, as we make our heart look like Jesus Christ's heart, we cannot do it on our own. We will fail every single time we will fail. That's the bad news. Here's the good news. When our lives are connected with Christ, when we're in relationship with Him, when His Holy Spirit is working through our lives, because Jesus lived this perfect, sinless life, we have the opportunity to, to, to do what God has created us to do, to love other people, to care for other people. And it all has to do with God's grace. Let me give you a definition for grace. God's grace is an incredible blessing that comes out of incredible love through incredible sacrifice that we don't deserve. Let me say it again. God's grace is an incredible blessing that comes out of incredible love through incredible sacrifice that we don't deserve. Those who have developed a heart of a champion know, Karen, if you could come up. Those who develop a heart of a champion know that uh, it, it takes hard work, it takes struggle, it takes uh, time to wrestle with these things. And, but we have, a, we have a training partner with us. We have the Holy Spirit who comes along beside us that, 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 that changes our heart, that, that, that um, does the hard work of adapting our heart to look like Jesus Christ. And so as we develop a heart of a champion, as we look for ways to love people and care for people, our heart begins to look more and more like Jesus' heart. We all have a story. Every person has a story. And the way that we can love and care for people is to find out their story, to listen to what is going on in their lives, to hear what they need. And the best way is through our eyes and our ears to genuinely care and love for people. That's what Christ did. That's how their lives were changed forever. That's how eternity was changed forever. So as they share their story, as we share our story, we begin to put the pieces together for them, how God's story intersects our own stories. How God has the, the answer to whatever it is, the needs that we have. We sung lots of different things that lots of people have. They have need for a defender. They have need for a rescuer. They have need for a shield. They have need for all these aspects of who God is. And He fulfills every one of our needs. Every 
one of our needs he fulfills. So as we desire to look more and more like Christ, our hope is that our hearts would start to look the same way. That we would look for ways to, to, to meet people's physical needs. That we would look for ways to meet people's emotional needs. And that certainly that we would point people to Christ so that we can meet their spiritual needs as well. The kids' carnival that's coming up in a, in, a, in a couple of weeks at the end of the summer is one opportunity for us to meet a lot of those needs. There's things that we do throughout uh, the church that we provide some opportunity for us to meet those those needs, but there's an individual call that's in each one of our lives. In Acts chapter 1, as Jesus is sending his disciples, he says, you will make disciples. He doesn't say you can make disciples. He says you will make disciples. And so it is our commission that all of us, that as we live our lives, as we walk, that we will be making disciples. The question is, what type of disciples will we be making? Will we be making disciples that reflect Christ? Or we be leading people in a different direction? Let me pray for you this morning. Father, our, our prayer is that our heart would look like your Son, Jesus Christ. God, whatever is in there, we pray that your light would shine in our hearts and push out the darkness, God. Forgive us for trying to remove those things ourselves. And God, we pray that we would allow your Holy Spirit to do the work that needs to be done in our hearts this morning, Lord God. That you would train and develop our hearts to look like the heart of Christ. That we would seek and, 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 and look for opportunities to meet physical needs and emotional needs and the spiritual needs of others, Lord God. That we would seek and find opportunities to share our lives, to share our story, God. Make our heart broken for those that are lost. Give us mercy and compassion and grace with people. God, give us forgiveness for other people, Lord God. Help us to fulfill your mission, God. Help us to fulfill your promises, Lord God. We thank you that you go before us preparing good works for us to fulfill. Help us to take the right steps to fulfill those things this morning, Lord God. Change our heart. Make it beat like your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.